0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Books and Film, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dan Moran. I am thrilled to be here today with John Lewis, author of the new BFI film classic study of The Godfather Part Two, just published in 2022 by Bloomsbury. Hi, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good, great to see you. So, let me give our listeners a little bio. John Lewis is the Distinguished Professor of Film Studies and Honors College Eminent Professor at Oregon State University. He has published 12 books on film and the BFI Film Classic Study of the Godfather. But we've actually also met before when John came on my other podcast, 50 Minute Film Fanatics, to talk about The Godfather Part 3. I loved reading his book, Whom God Wishes to Destroy, which is about Coppola in the 1980s. And when I saw that he had a new book out about Godfather II, I read it instantly. I loved every word of it. And I'm so glad our paths have crossed again. So again, John, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me.
1: So here we go. Let's get right into the thick of things because oh, Godfather yeah. 2, as you know, is, is not a sleeper film. Um, people don't say, oh yeah, I think I saw Godfather 2. It, it's the kind of movie that people have seen over and over and over, uh, over the course of their lives, right? You call it, quote, a near perfect balance of art and commerce. Explain what you mean by that.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'd have to go back a little to Godfather 1. Um, when in 1971, when uh, Paramount was trying to find somebody to adapt uh, a book they had optioned called The Godfather, which was a bestseller, uh, they went through a lot of directors and eventually sort of ended up with Coppola in a way because he was Italian, and that was important because they were afraid of the Italian anti-defamation leads sort of, sort of causing problems for the production. Um, and uh, because he was little known. So they figured they could push him around. Um, he is Italian, but they didn't get to push him around. Um, and then when that film ended, uh, Coppola figured he was done with it and, and, and had vowed never to make a commercial film again. And uh, when they asked him to do Godfather Two, and I talk about this a little in the book, he, um, he said, no, I don't want to do it, and suggested Martin Scorsese, uh, who had just done *Mean Streets*, a film that Coppola admired <laughs> because it's great, and um, uh, he figured that was, that was that. Uh, and 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 at one point in the negotiations with Charlie Bluedorn, who who um, who said that uh, because Coppola directed *Godfather*, it was like he had found the recipe for Coca-Cola. This is how he described it: "You found the recipe for Coca-Cola. You have to make." You have to keep making coca-cola and so coppola um uh came upon he just sort of made these ridiculous demands it's a little like austin powers you know the ridiculous demands turned out not to be ridiculous said he wanted a million dollars for the film Bludorn said sure uh he said he wanted bob evans nowhere near the film and Bludorn at the time was already not thrilled with evans so he said yeah sure i'll do that too and so he ended up having to do the movie um but then he had pretty much carte blanche to do the movie any way he wanted. With Evans out of the way, there was really no one from the studio looking over his shoulder. And that's why I do think the film came about as close to an artist making a movie for a big studio without the big studio telling him what to do. Um, it's probably the unique in that way, in the history of cinema. And of course, we've got one of the greatest movies ever made, so... Maybe it's a recipe they should have uh, should have used more. Often.
1: <laughs> yeah, it definitely wasn't New Coke, and I love how you tell the story about that in the book because you, I, I love the quote which I had never read before, where Coppola says, "I don't want to make Abbott and Costello meet the Godfather."
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, sequels. You know, now sequels are just what every you know what everybody does. You know, every every big film is made with the sequel in mind. That you know, in 1972, that that wasn't the case. Whereas it was the case at Universal when they made, you know, five Frankenstein films and a bunch of, you know, werewolf films and, right. and a bunch so, of Abbott Costello films.
1: Absolutely. And Abbott and Costello meet all those universal he, monsters yes, as well. exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. So in the beginning, before we get into the actual film, another part you talk about, so you get you describe Coppola coming around, but you also talk about how um, the film was a product of, of what you call the New Hollywood, what a lot of people call the New Hollywood, right? So can you talk about that? Like what was New Hollywood and how does Godfather two fit into it?
0: Well, you know, New Hollywood is, it, 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 there are sort of two points of sort of, the beginning of the new Hollywood, you know, one is sort of 1967, 1968. So you have the release of uh, Bonnie and Clyde and the graduate in 67. And then um, in 1968, you have the advent of the, of the, the the new rating system, you know, where the production code is officially sort of put to rest and, and um, the new, it's called the voluntary movie the voluntary movie rating system. It's not really voluntary, but that's what it's called, um, which introduced a kind of new regime of censorship. And so that's one point of departure. And then anything after that, you know, sort of Easy Rider is like one of the first sort of post-rating system films. And it's sort of, you know, of course, it's very different than anything before. So that's one point. The other is Godfather, that, you know, um, a, a generation of young filmmakers, a lot of them coming out of film school, Sort of arrive at the same time, you know, Coppola, Scorsese, Lucas, etc., Spielberg, all sort of De Palma, you know, all all are launched upon the scene at the same moment, and and so that's often seen as sort of the new Hollywood, and certainly in either version of those stories, Godfather plays a prominent role, and um, uh, and Coppola's often seen as the godfather of the new Hollywood, you know, it's, it, it's maybe a convenient phrase, but it's, it's pretty accurate. Um, John Milius, who's, you know, famous for writing Apocalypse Now and Conan the Barbarian, and he's an irascible character, um, and has had a stormy relationship with Coppola. Uh, but he is, um, the first to affirm that, uh, he refers to Coppola as the white knight, you know, he made it and then took all of us with him. So, uh, Godfather One and Two, and that time period between seventy-two and seventy-four um, is really a moment where, where Coppola kind of initiates, creates, and then pulls everybody along with him into a new Hollywood.
1: Yeah, which is incredible. Another thing, you know, and I, you know, I've seen the, these movies, you know, many, many, many times, and I know all. And I thought I knew all the backstory, but one thing that your book maybe just realized—a very, very simple, obvious fact—is Godfather is seventy-two. Godfather Two was seventy four. I mean, within two years, I think how long it takes to do any construction anywhere. So within two years, you write, create, and 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 put out this this unbelievable movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, in 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 he had arguably the best three years in the history of Hollywood because it's Godfather conversation, Godfather Two. Uh, you know, uh, he wins the grand prize at Cannes. He he wins a bunch of Oscars. Um, and he makes three films that are all pretty fabulous and and pretty different.
1: Yeah, and you also make the point in your in your book that um, the the shoot of Godfather Two was not acrimonious. There wasn't a lot of drama. People came to work, they did their thing, they went home. They like there wasn't like you know uh, you know people waving rewrites at the last moment. And it seems like it was very very under control.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the sort of Bob Evans part of the story. I mean Evans is is you know uh, you know he. He produced Chinatown. He produced the first Godfather. You know, cer- certainly was very good at his job, but um, he was very difficult for Coppola to work with. So, with him out of the way, I think it it, it made it made life easy. And you know, Coppola when he did Godfather one was nobody, and then Coppola when he did Godfather two had a bunch of Oscars and a grand prize at Cannes. And okay, now he's somebody else. Um,
1: We can leave him alone. uh, He knows what he's doing.
0: (laughs) Well, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Pauline Kael's review, I I know I referred to it in the book where she's, she basically says what you said at the opening, that it's the sort of perfect marriage of, uh, of, of commerce and art. You know, she basically says, you know, if you, if you give an artist space and time and money to make the movie they want to make, wow, this is what you get. Um, And I do think Godfather 2's that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's dive into the film a little more. Now let's get into it. So um, near the end of the book, you say that some, not all, but you say some of your students react to the film this way. Here's a quote from you. Often enough in my classes these days, students miss the point of Michael Corleone. Okay, so let's get right into it. What is the point of Michael Corleone?
0: He's a monster. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay, there we are. Uh, yeah, uh for the first film, Coppola told Pacino, you know, about, because Pacino said, you know, who is this guy that I'm playing? And Coppola said something to the effect, you know, he's a brilliant college student and 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 war hero um, who has to become a ruthless killer. And so there's this sort of arc, right? In Godfather 2, there's no arc. He, he's already he's killed like everyone lied to you know. the first film ends kills his brother-in-law lies to his wife kills his father's best friend or one of his father's best friends a family member tessia hardly blinks an eye in fact he wants to watch carlo's murder that's the murder he wants to see uh so he starts god godfather two as a as this sort of monster and he just is a monster through the whole thing And, and 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 coppola couple didn't think he had to explain that, you know, this this is what he says Michael's America at one point he said Michael's America, you know. He had all these lofty ambitions, but then he got blood on his hands. And it's a great analogy. But yeah, my students uh, I don't
1: know. Some of them aren't phased I'm, I'm by him, old. or they just yeah, well were well you say in the book, it's kinda of like, well, they think like, well, that's kind of how you do things and you just you yes, know, Yes, exactly.
0: Do- yeah, I think I think they look at it and go, you know, you got to get your hands dirty. And,
1: right. And they right. admire
0: him. They admire his coldness, his resu- right. you know—that he's
1: resolute. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: that he well, doesn't like—he sure is—he sure is. He
1: sure well, is he resolute. Doesn't let family get in
0: the way. I mean, kills. Right. You know, I don't think we don't have to worry about
1: spoilers. I mean, he no, 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 no. Kills his, he
0: kills his brother, in this right,
1: movie—that's
0: yeah. a pretty killing your brother is a pretty big deal. Yeah. and and, and that's another murder he wants to watch. Yes, um, out the window. And that's yeah, that's not nothing,
1: uh, right?
0: You know, there's that wonderful moment. You know, both films have a, a scene of a door closing Kay out of his life, right? And in the first film, I think a lot of students watching, go, "Oh yeah, you know, she can't know. You know, this is this is this is the mafia way." But in the second movie, it's it's she wants to see her own children, and he. Has absolutely no time or patience for that.
1: Right, and, and just, that's and that's a it's funny you said, but him becoming more like the only way you could up his monstrosity level is by killing Fredo. I mean, that's the only way you can up it from the end of the first yeah, one.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I David Thompson um, had this piece in in uh, Esquire God a long time ago uh, called Michael Corleone role model. It's a terrific little essay. And, and he sort of talks about this, that, that, especially in the, in the eighties, the sort of me decade, uh, Gordon Gecko you know, uh, greed is good right. moment that Michael Corleone is like, you know, this sort of ideal where you, you don't let emotions get in your way. Emotions are, are weak, you know, and,
1: yeah.
0: and, and the end always justifies the means. Well, when Kay says to Michael in the film, you know, I always knew knew they'd never get you, you know, talking about the government. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, they'll never get him. Um, They'll never get him. And I was supposed to be happy about that. I think Coppola, is hoping we're not, but, but, uh... but it's hard
1: because, because like, you know, it's funny because what reading your book reminded me, I had just seen HUD a few, a few weeks ago when we did the Paul Newman film and it reminded me that, you know, Paul Newman's supposed to be this abhorrent, you know, amoral, terrible guy who doesn't change in the course of the movie, but he's Paul Newman. So you can't keep your eyes off him. He's super cool. And that like maybe something like that happens with Michael because it's still, you have Al Pacino who, who is, you know, just exudes charisma, even when he's being at his most horrifying, I wonder if that has something. To do with the fact that people yeah the point. maybe i yeah. think with
0: with newman of course newman you know is the seduction you know yeah because of of course it's about the sort of conflicts of sort of physical beauty versus um yeah.
1: uh,
0: i don't know uh <laughs> internal nastiness you know is just sort of horrible <laughs> but beautiful i think with 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 michael it's it's, it's almost more corporate you know it's just sort yeah. of you know, this is what you have to do to succeed. But isn't the argument of the film that you shouldn't? Right. That it isn't worth it because you're right. going to have to kill your brother.
1: Right. So
0: you should leave the movie saying, no, 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 it's not worth it. I don't want to be him. Right. Um, which is how I end the book. You know, I, you're supposed to say, no, you know, this is too much of a cost. Uh, right. But like I said, a lot of people watch the movie now in a kind of more modern way. And they just say, yeah, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do.
1: Yeah, because there's no Michael doesn't even get a, 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 the equivalent of a Shakespearean soliloquy where he wants to, where he thinks about, do I kill Fredo? Right? Even oh, Claudius said like yeah. Hamlet says, you know, yeah. I've I killed my brother, I've done this terrible thing. Um, you know, y- you don't know what's what he's thinking. And then when he looks at Al at the, <laughs> when he's hugging Fredo, and you know, that's it. You're like, wow. But he, he, we don't even get that scene where he thinks to himself, should I do this or not?
0: Yeah, I I, there, I have sort of two answers to that. One, the, the Neary thing is brilliant because yeah. it's, it's just a series of maybe three or four shots. Um, uh, his sister has convinced him to embrace his brother at his mother's funeral. But the only reason he's doing this is now he can kill him. Right. He's not going to kill him while his mother's alive. So actually, he's already like a good chess player. He's a couple of moves ahead, right? You know, I yeah she dies then i make these next moves and he he um uh he embraces his brother uh, but he looks his, at his bodyguard right and what's interesting is neary's response is a little bit sorrowful you know like yeah i knew this day was coming and i'm gonna have to kill him yeah uh, but michael doesn't have that michael just is saying now we play this move mom's dead we kill Freda. right um and then he watches, you know, the ending of the movie where, where, where the theme is playing, and he's standing in that beautiful room overlooking Lake Tahoe, and he he wants to. He, it's not because he disbelieves it will be done because hmm. everything he says happens in the movie. It's he wants to watch, which
1: is pretty. It's yeah. pretty terrible. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. The the Shakespearean. The other part of I'm sorry I'm going on a a bit here. No, this is great. But I think about um, I I hadn't thought about this monologue thing, and and you're right. He doesn't because I don't think he has an internal life.
1: No, I mean I think
0: he just. And I think this goes there. I I talk about this sometimes in in, in my classes. Um, There's there's a scene in in uh, Fitzgerald's Last Tycoon where Monroe Star is talking about what it takes to be a film executive or any executive. And he says, well, I I may have the, the the scene slightly wrong, but I think I have it right. And he's talking about like a train going through a mountain, you know, they're creating either a road or something like that, or a, a route for the train. And there are a lot of decisions. There are a lot of ways to get around or through or over the mountain. But if you're the boss, you decide on one and, and then you can't turn back, you know, you, The only thing that you have to be as a boss, you don't have to be right. You just have to be sure. And I think Michael is that. Michael is always
1: sure he exudes confidence. I mean, even, even in the scene where he gets, where we get the big surprise when Kay tells him about the abortion. Right. And, and he said, and he's dismissing her and he says something to the effect of like, you know, um, don't you think I would use all of my powers to think, do you think you can keep it? He's, so, he is so convinced that he that everything is going to happen the way he thinks. And then he gets, you know, his one surprise. And that's when he slaps her.
0: Yeah. The slapping scene's interesting. Cause I, I, I went back and forth with the editors at BFI on this. Um, because, you know, certainly even in 1974, it's, it's a startling moment. He, he he strikes her, he knocks her off her feet, you know. Um, it's it shot in a two shot, and he sort of leaps across. And Michael does nothing physically in the film otherwise. He's, he's so controlled. Um, but it's sort of, what does it mean? You know, is this a scene... That's about the violence we saw. I, I I think it's more about Michael losing control, and because that to Michael is more important than, you know, again the you know the immoral the immoral act of striking another person. In this case, striking striking his 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 wife. Um, but I think it, it, it's sort of what bothers Michael isn't that because he's you know he 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 commissions violence all the time. What bothers him is that he's lost control, that she's made him lose control. She's won, in a way, that one tiny moment. And Pacino's such a brilliant actor that if you watch that scene in the movie, it maybe goes by you, but if you're writing a book about the film and stopping at every two seconds looking at scenes, he shakes.
1: Yeah, he has his expression before he goes, leaps at her is, is incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it is, how does a body lose control? Right. Yeah. Um, you know how, as an actor, do I do losing control? That's not screaming because Michael doesn't, and mm. and he just and it's the shake. It's <laughs> it's 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 quite as someone who you know knows that I'll I'll never be an actor. <laughs> uh, you know I can't act uh, to watch that and just say wow that that instinct's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, but it is it is a very important scene and it it it's one of the very few scenes where where Michael does anything. Um,
1: uh, yeah, Michael. You bit know about? Go ahead. Yeah. Now I was going to say, Al, you know, Al Pacino likes to scream and yell, but Michael does. Michael yeah. <laughs> would never <Wait>. do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not in the. I, you know, I I actually think Pacino's just brilliant, and and the oh, me duration too. of his yeah. brilliance. He's great. You know, if you watch him doing uh, Jack Kevorkian, which is fairly recent, hmm. all, all the way down to the Michigan accent. it's yeah. Like, holy Christ. his <laughs> yeah. his Phil Spector. Who yeah. Looks nothing like is brilliant. Um, so I think he's angel. What is it? The, the Roy Cohn bit and angels and angels in, in, angels in, in America. America yeah. I mean, just, yeah. I he's. I, I was reading this thing about uh, Brando. You know, Brando was great for like five years, and then he had a handful of other roles that okay, you know, he's probably a great actor. Pacino's been been great for a half a century.
1: Yeah, absolutely, um,
0: and is still great. So, yeah, there are the, the screaming bits and people always try to point that out. You know, you, you, they can pull five minutes out of 50 years and, 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 and quibble. Um, but in Godfather 2, he's almost a nerd. You know, so there's no screaming, except the scene we're talking about. There's no screaming. And that was, that was, that's a very challenging role, to do nothing and be great.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. All right. Well, let's, let's, so that's all about Michael. Let's move into some other points of your book. So uh, another realization I had when I read this book of yours is that how politically aware this, this movie is when it comes out in 74. So you have, you know, Senator Geary, you have Michael telling him we're part of the same hypocrisy. You have moments like that. And you say that in 1974, this film, your line is, it was profoundly tied to its time. So can you talk about that for a minute?
0: Yeah, um, I sort of make the point about about this, uh, if I can plug for a second. I wrote sure. a BFI book on Godfather as well, sure. so I've written about both both films for this series. And um, there's a line in the first Godfather film when he comes back from Sicily, Michael comes back from Sicily, and he's um, courting, I don't think it's the right word, Kay again, you know, he convinces her to come back to New York with him. And um, she says something you know, he says, uh, you know, we'll be legitimate in five years. He says that a lot in, in all three films. And and um, she says, oh, come on, you know. Uh, he said, my father's no different than other powerful men and like senators, congressmen. And she says something like, well, senators and congressmen don't send people off to die. It's 1972. <laughs> I mean, they do do that. You know, Vietnam's happening. So in 74, so... You know, I think I think Godfather Two is less tied to Vietnam and more to Watergate, and and you know, there's a Senate hearing in the film that's supposed to be the Kefauver hearings. The timing's off by by about a decade because he has the Cuban Revolution, which is ten years after Kefauver, so he has them happening at the same time in the film, but it's supposed to be Kefauver, you know, mafia hearings. but it also feels like act you know, it feels like the House on american House Committee on Un-American Activities, um, uh, Hollywood 10, um, but it also, in 1974, absent those two historical references, which, you know, you can't expect everybody doing the film to know, um, feels like Watergate, and we were all watching Watergate. <laughs> uh, I was... Um, uh, 18 uh, when Watergate happened. I remember watching it on television all the time. Um, you know, maybe the January 6 hearings are like that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But pretty much everybody watched Watergate on television. I mean, it was and 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 so when the film came out and there were congressional hearings or Senate hearings, it's like, okay, I've seen this before. Yeah. And then when Geary sort of is revealed. He gives his speech about Italian-Americans, which is pretty comical. It's it's pretty wonderful.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. I
0: think be- it's, tied, it's tied to what a game. When he tells Geary in the beginning of the film, we're, we're both part of the same hypocrisy. Well, they are. And most Americans watching the film are just saying, yeah, sure. Of course they are. Right.
1: right. And, it's a, and that's what's so, so funny about what you said about the way people react to Michael is you're supposed to be kind of horrified, but... You know, it, it, but now when, when people watch and he says we're part of the same hypocrisy and everyone's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Like, is there any more popcorn? Like, it's, 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 yeah. it's almost become like a given that it doesn't even shock the audience.
0: Yeah. Isn't that sad?
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Uh, <laughs> I mean, I do the think mic- it's a much more cynical film.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, well, let's, let's get yeah, into that. I, I you, mean, when you think about yeah. it, and
0: we're still a couple of years before All the President's Men 76. So we're still a couple of years before that film sort of lays out the Watergate story for most Americans, you know, most Americans watched the Watergate hearings, maybe read the newspaper, but it was all pieces. Um, I think all the presidents' men the book, and then the, the film sort of just lays it out for everybody. And and is uh, ahead of that curve, um, way ahead. Which of is it. interesting because, to think about. Yeah. Godfather Two is a Watergate film. We
1: took it all. We brought them to our land. Yeah. And I, it's funny because, you know, all the presidents, man, like it, it took all of all of these strands and, and turned them into a narrative that, that, you know, I remember seeing that as a kid with all the teletype machines like, da, 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 and like, like OK, now this all makes sense. You could, you could follow it. Right. And so that leads me to a question. I, I have to ask you a, a, an inside baseball question about Godfather 2 about the plot, because. I think that the plot of, Water, of Watergate is quote unquote, like the plot of Godfather two. It's a labyrinthine. It's super complicated. Who knows what, at what moment, that's kind of like the fun of the plot of Godfather two. Right. So I want to ask you a question about the plot and I want to get your reaction to it and then talk about like the, the, the way that the story is put together with the two halves and with the Hyman Roth stuff. Right. so, you have the one thing you said in the book that made me – that I couldn't shake, and it actually made me laugh out loud when I read it, was you you make some offhanded remark and you said, um, Michael knows more than Coppola. <laughs> like Michael Corleone knows more about what's going on in this movie th- than the director does. And I thought to myself, that is so great. That's exactly how we watch Michael Corleone, like wheels within wheels, right? So here's what it is. Um, I got to indulge you on this. It's the scene where Frankie um, – Five Angels is almost killed. It's, it's the bad hit in the bar, right? He goes in. He's going to meet the Rosattos. He's going to meet Carmine Rosado. Danny Aiello comes behind him and says, Michael Corleone says hello. The cop walks in. Everything goes south. There's a fight in the street. And of course, we find out later that Roth ordered this to, to scare him into testifying against Michael. But a bunch of people online, a bunch of people who love this movie have big arguments about the phrase, Michael Corleone says hello. Because... The hit wasn't supposed to go all the way. It was supposed to scare Frankie, right? But then the cop walks in. The The point isn't really to solve it, but the point is to talk about the plotting of Godfather 2. Like, have your students ever asked you about that scene or asked you for like a an explication of it? And then what do you make of like the the, the fun of the plot of Godfather 2?
0: Well, I'll start at the end. That I, I do think that part of what makes the film so great, because not a lot of actually physically happens in the film. It's just a lot of talking. You know, if you, if you act and I make this point in the book, it's, it's a movie of meetings. It's all meetings. You know, right. it's, just, it's business meetings. And right. part of that is Coppola's argument that there's only a subtle difference between politicians, businessmen and gangsters. Um, and, and Michael in some ways is playing the part of a gangster trying to play the part of a proper businessman. Um, which is part of the convolution. And I do think also that we do try to, it's like a lot of movies, it's like a detective movie where, you know, Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe is actually reading the film a little better than we do because he's a detective and we're not, and, and we're trying to keep up. Um, and I think Michael in some ways is, is put in that position here because he, he has a, a worthy adversary Roth who, who appears in the film here and there but is is always in his absence doing something, um, and 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 is occasionally a step ahead of Michael. You know, he's he's a worthy a worthy adversary, I guess. Uh, so I do think that that line that you're talking about, I've always read. This doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but I've always read that that's part of Roth's scheme. You know that. Um, the whether they're trying to kill him is a little bit diff, difficult to figure because it does look like they are trying to kill Pantangeli. And maybe this gesture, Michael Corleone says hello, is just so that he dies thinking that. Because I think they try to kill him and and, and the cop happens upon it and they can't know that will happen. And then when everything goes south and Pantangeli is alive, um, M- Michael... Michael's got a problem, because now that line, which I think was intended just as a kiss-off, now that line is in Frankie's head. And Frankie thinks, okay, I've been betrayed. I can betray him. And he does the one thing you can't do if you're a gangster. In gangster films, I don't know about real gangsters, you know, and that is rat. So he's now allowed to rat because Michael said him up, which Michael didn't do. Which we know, eventually, Michael, of course, knows him. And Michael has this line, and again, I may be getting the order because I, I I sort of (laughs) didn't see this question coming. But I think I have the order right that Michael, um, Michael actually says to Roth, who put the hit in on, on Pantangeli. Well, he's not asking the question because he doesn't know. He does know (laughs) who it's. It's Roth, Um, because then he's uh, because then Roth says the
1: Rosado brothers. He says the Rosado brothers. Yeah, he yeah, just lies yeah, right yeah, to Michael. He's yeah. like,
0: okay, sure. <laughs> yes. The And And um, Well, he said, I thought it was the risotto Oh, that,
1: Yes, that's right. <laughs> but then,
0: but then Roth goes into this sort of monologue about Mo Green. Right. And said, well, somebody killed Mo Green. <laughs> we don't know who. <laughs> but of course, we watched Godfather 1, so we do know who. Yeah. Um, and of course, he knows who too. So I do think there's a point at which these two guys, Roth and Michael, you know, this is a very complicated movie, but not for them.
1: Right, right. And that's like, the fun of it. I think what you and I are doing right now is that that's kind of like that's the that's the you try to keep up with these chess grandmasters of Ross yeah, yeah, and yeah. Michael. And that's the fun of it. the fact that we're trying to parse together, like parse out like what happens during this bar scene like that, that, that you know, it's the it's the kind of thing people love to talk about. But that's what was so reminiscent to me about Watergate was trying to connect all of these, these dots and put things together. And, and you're trying to do, you're trying to be as good at it as Michael. You can't be as, cause Michael knows more than Coppola, but you're trying yeah. to figure this out and you kind of get carried away in it. Right.
0: Yeah. I think that's the engagement because there has to be, you know, why is this film right. so fascinating when nothing happens?
1: Right. And I think now, the answer
0: is because it's intellectual, you know, yes. we're, we're trying to figure this, this puzzle out, you know, it's, it's funny, I just thought of memento. You know, it's like some something like that, you know, like <laughs> yeah. There's something going on here and my engagement isn't like necessarily what I'm watching. It's trying to make sense of what I'm watching, you know, and and and, and the fun of Godfather two is okay, Roth and, and Michael are are adversaries at a very at chess master level. Well can I can I get somewhere near these guys? You know, can I can I figure out this this plot with them? Um, it's a little like the moment in Godfather One where you have that great meeting where where uh, Vito had, brings all the five families together and Barzini's there and Tagli is there, and he says, "Oh, Michael's coming back from Sicily, and if he comes back and if he's hit by a bolt of lightning, people in this room will have to answer for it." And then he gets in the car with uh, Tom, I think it is, and. And Tom says, you know, well, should should we should we make some sort of arrangement with Tattaglia? And he says, is a pimp. <laughs> I didn't know to today that it was Sparsini. We've just watched
1: the same scene. And we don't right. how did he get that out of that scene? You know? Right. That's great. Because most of us most of us stumble through intellectually through these movies the first time, like Luca Brazzi. Like we're, like, we're just trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So poor Luca. Poor Luca. Yeah. So Um, that's, that's really interesting about the plot of the, the Michael stuff. But what's also interesting in your book is that the veto half of Godfather II, the plot is much more linear, right? And it's much more, you know, straightforward about the, the rise of, you know, you have this guy who starts with nothing and ends up with, you know, this empire and you have this guy, you know, foiled by this guy who was an empire who loses his whole family and stuff. So you talk about in your book, the way that we have changed our relationship to movie gangsters, and you say that when we watch Michael testify before the Senate, your, your quote is, "We root here from Michael to quite literally get away with murder," a subject positioning that marks a change in the crime picture and the culture that consumes it. So, can you can you talk about the two the two different narratives of Godfather Two and how they kind of reflect our relationship with movie gangsters?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I do this actually more in the first Godfather book and the second Godfather book where I go back and look at this sort of history of the gangster film that Coppola himself, a former sure. film school student, uh, was looking at. So if you look at the big three from the early 30s, Scarface, Public Enemy, Little you know, Caesar, they all by by necessity end with the death of the gangster. That the gangster's rise is like a rocket going up, and then, yeah. what is the expression? He used, like used to be a now big shot. He used to be a big shot. Yeah, you know, you... <laughs> It, the entire film is predicated on punishment, and 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 that crime doesn't pay, and 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 there's this kind of understanding going into the movie that okay, this is gonna be fun for a while, uh, but you don't get to do <laughs> you don't get to win, you don't get to do this, and I think um, in in Godfather, well through the through the entire series, you know, you know Michael has a cosmic price to pay, right, you know. He has to do some things he, he'd rather not do, including become the Godfather. You know, the Godfather. Yeah. In the in the first film, he doesn't. You know, his introduction in the film is, "I'm not like my father." that's my yeah, like father, thing. not me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he's basically telling his girlfriend, "Look, this is the world I grew up in, but this is not the world I'm I'm going to live in." But then at the hospital in the first film, he's he's um, he has he says, "I'm with you, Pop." And his dad cries because his dad doesn't want this either. So, you know, on a certain level, he doesn't want to do this. But once he becomes a gangster, um, he's pretty good at it and um, sort of born for the role. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, what is it about that changes besides just a rating system that allows the gangster to get away? And, yeah, in the 30s, you had a production code and... That wasn't an option. It is an option, you know, um, in the 70s to have this happen. But sort of why does it happen? And why do we watch nine hours of it happening? You know, the three films combined. And sort of Michael, sort of, he survives all the things that used to kill gangsters, like the cops or assassination or whatever. Yeah, they, they could try all those things. It's never going to work. Uh, you know, the hearing, you know. You know, they try to get him on perjury, which is how they basically get people in congressional hearings. And that doesn't work either because he's one step ahead of that one, too. And, yeah, we smile. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about us? What's wrong with us?
1: I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know because we're we're on Vito's side, we're on De Niro's side as he's rising up and because we know he's got, we know how the story's going to end and it's funny and uh, Don yeah. Ferrucci seems like a character from a previous generation of of gangster well, he movies. he is. Yeah. Yeah, he
0: is. He's he's the he's the black hand. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the um Yeah, he's the old first generation of the um guy in the white suit, the right. flashy white suit. You never see Vito in a flashy white suit. No. Like that. And just and sort of walking around like he owns the place. <laughs> right, But he does. Um, because he does own the place. He doesn't have to look that way. <laughs> right. And so I think he yeah, adds a stylistic, stylistic difference. Of course, I mean, Vito is a, an easier character to love than Michael. Michael, right. I think the great achievement of Godfather 2 is that we're rooting for Michael even though.
1: You yeah. know,
0: we're rooting for Vito and it isn't even though. We're rooting for right. Vito because he's this lovely father, because... He has ethics, you know, he doesn't like drugs, the, you know. The he,
1: animal stays. What do you say? The dog stays with the with the ladies of the animal stays yeah, yeah, in the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's
0: got he's got uh Yeah, I mean he's just and, and again, you know, he just has his little sign. He's really remember there's the scene where you see the Jenko sign, yeah, the, the Jenko Aliveau sign. sign. Yeah. He's got a big smile on his face. And of course the smile is uh, he's entrepreneurial, you know. He's he's rising up in the ranks. But it was never an olive oil company that that, that place was running. So there's also that. we were also joyous at the, oh, this is Vito before he was Vito. You know, this is Vito before he was Godfather. But but he's a lovable character. Michael, you know, he's not a lovable character. Uh, but, yeah, we want him to win anyway. And And maybe we're just, by 1974, we're pretty cynical about, or we have a kind of moral relativism that's really, daunting um and like i say i show the film now and 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 michael's unproblematic you know he's just you know this is what you do you know if you're gonna win this is what you do um
1: which is itself a problem but (laughs) but let's move on to two other characters you you talk about uh, i want to talk about Kay and connie so Kay, we know is played by dan keaton connie's talia shire and here's a quote from you quote mafia wives sisters and daughters don't get much to do in gangster films but these two characters are, are crucial to the series, but especially to Godfather two. So how?
0: Yeah, I, 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 I recently read a, an essay by Molly Haskell. Who's a um, famous feminist film historian, justifiably so. And um, she reads Connie very differently than I do. Kay and Connie, but Con- I, I, Kay, especially, you know, that, she, she sort of simple I think she describes him as simp- as uh, her as simpering, and I thought, well, not not exactly. You know that that in most gangster films, the women don't do anything. They're like Mama Corleone. She doesn't even get a name in the script. She's Mama Corleone. Um, if you read the original script, she doesn't even have a name, um, and 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 she's a stand by your man, uh, old school, old world wife. She's the wife, of Apollonia May have been for Michael, but she's, she's murdered, but Kay's never that. Kay, Kay is at the first wedding in the first film at the wedding in the first film, because she's a redhead because she looks nothing like anybody at that entire party. Uh, she looks nothing. Um, she doesn't, and it's almost like he's rubbing their face in it, you know, it'd be like at a Jewish wedding oh, right. and bringing <laughs> your shiksa a girlfriend, <but> it's like, <laughs> you know, here we are, you know, right. live with it. Um, because he's not, I'm not that. That's right. what he says. In the film. Uh, so Kay in the second film, you know, sort of begins, you know, we start that film knowing that she's been lied to at the end of Godfather 1 mm-hmm. and she knows it because she knows what he's done. She maybe is telling herself something else, but she knows. In fact, in the original, in the novel, she, she goes to church after that and lights a candle f- for Michael. Michael's sins so she it's clear she knows um so she's made her peace with I'm married to a gangster a ruthless gangster so in the second film she's trying to deal with this but finally can't and um uh everybody in the film does things behind the scenes well she aborts a baby behind the scenes and then she doesn't have to do this because she says I'm taking the kids and then they have an argument about that. She doesn't have to say that she did what she did, but she does. You know, this has to end. You know, the thousands of years of Sicilian machismo, you know, this all has to end, she says. Um, so I think she does a lot. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, when he says, um, and you, you, you refer to this line that, um, you know who I am. I will never, you know that you will never get away with this. She does know that. She, of, of all the people in the movie, she knows exactly who this guy is. And when he says, you'll never take my children, she knows she'll never take his children. Um, she can't beat this guy. In fact, the, the scene begins with her referring to the Senate hearings where she says, I knew they would, you, they would never beat you. Um, so I think she's a really complicated, really interesting character. And, um, I think she gets, you know, a lot of people have only, you know, most people just say Godfather too, it's, you know, so Pantheon film, great. but case tell, that's sort of like not an unusual thing for people to say. And, um, you know, the gangsters and Sopranos make fun of her and they actually sort of mock her delivery of the Michael, it was an abortion line. And, and, um, and I don't I guess in, in the book, I sort of argue that that's not fair, that actually Diane Keaton is doing exactly what Coppola wants her to do in this scene, because um, she's not part of this world. She's not that world. She's not a gangster. And I think she was always K. She was K before Michael, before Pacino was Michael. Um, uh, you know, when they did the screen test, she was K. There's a whole bunch of people trying out for Michael, but there's Diane Keaton. Um, And so anyway, so I I sort of make a case for her. Connie, I think is even more interesting, because of course, she's played by Coppola's sister, Talia Shire. um, And she's reflected on that relationship in interesting ways. Um, But she's, she's quite wonderful at the end of the movie. She gets a big scene at the end of the movie. So yeah, she disappears for like 45 minutes. But when she comes back for that scene before the funeral, Or at the funeral. Oh my, she's wonderful. You know, I'm here for you, Michael. And so Molly Haskell sort of sort of writes about, well, you know, she's sort of gone out, now she's come back to the fold. But I think that's the point of the movie. That, you know, here's this movie coming out in the height of the sort of women's movement, and 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 you know, the conventional the conventional wife is sort of kicked out and then the sister comes back to the fold. You know, she's she's been out with men and she's had a wild time, but now she, what she wants is to come back. And I I, I I guess I don't see that as retrograde. I see that as sort of interesting because what she does is she suddenly, she actually becomes powerful. And if you watch Godfather 3, she's she engineers a murder at the end of God, Godfather 3. That's pretty brilliant. Um, an adversary that Michael is maybe a little careless with uh, but she's not
1: yeah I took it to be that his oh. gravitational pull was so strong that she went away but he but she she couldn't she couldn't get escape velocity from the family
0: yeah yeah I mean I think we have to be careful not to want movies to satisfy our sure <laughs> our politics yeah. um uh, she's a character and she's yeah. a human in a, a human being in a drama about a bunch of human beings yeah and she finds her place within the apparatus that exists in the film that's pretty powerful. Kay can't. She's right. shut out. She's systematically right. shut out. And one of the unconvincing things about Godfather 3 is the rekindling of their relationship. which yes. just yeah. seems kind of ridiculous. Um, but Connie's progression is, is fascinating. You sense, know, find yeah. me another gangster film like Godfather 3 where the sister is that much a part of she's basically organizes everything in that film Michael's the one who's michael even has you know his epileptic fit right or diabetic fit right um so he's falling apart but she's okay
1: yeah the shock of her in the godfather 3 is that you react to her kind of the way that everyone reacts to michael in the first one where he says who says you can't kill a cop and they all laugh at him and they say what are you talking about they can't believe that he thought of something so diabolical as killing mccloskey and then in Godfather Three, yeah. you get to see Talia Shire do all, do all the same thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 she's she's pushing for um, Vincent. Right. Uh, Sonny's a legitimate uh, yeah. son um, because he's an old school gangster.
1: Right. You know,
0: Michael keeps saying, "I want to be legitimate. I want to be legitimate." It's never going to work. Yeah. And Connie says, "Why even try?" You know. Yeah. This is yeah. the guy we need we need a version of Sonny again. Um, And that's quite something.
1: Yeah. So when you talk about the end of the film, you say something shocking. and I'm using air quotes here, but it was something I thought, I I loved how shocking this was. So at the end of Godfather 2, Roth, uh, uh, Pentangeli, Fredo, they're all dead. And you say, quote, the film doesn't end with Michael alone in apparent victory. Too bad. As for what it's worth, that is the ending I'd have preferred. Now, we know that we do get Michael alone at the very end, but before then we get that final flashback, you call it a nostalgic vignette that takes place on Pearl Harbor Day on December 7th, 1941. So talk about that one vignette and how, you know, the audacity of saying like, you know, too bad, like I wouldn't have included that vignette. What, if, what, what makes you say that?
0: Okay, first of all, let me just say that, you know, there's – there's no moment in Godfather Two I would
1: have done better. Sure, I, I know you're being like, playful. I, I, yeah, I know. I, I totally know you're being it, playful. It's about more it.
0: like you know we watch a movie that we really love, right? And and there's this one thing that we really wish wasn't there. Um, so in this perfect masterpiece, <laughs> I'm trying to overstate this because really I get that it's sure. ridiculous and audacious for me to say something like this, but fun. <laughs> but I think we all watch movies like this. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. one scene I didn't dig. So the one scene I I don't dig at all is is that last little vignette. I, I kind of don't understand why it's there. In a way it's the church scene from Godfather One that Evans convinced Coppola to pull. Because we don't need it. The closing of the door is the ending of the That's movie. The That's end, perfect. Right? <laughs> don't go anywhere else. This one has the perfect ending. He he's alone uh, in this beautiful house on the lake, and he has just watched the death of his brother. Coppola is shooting it from, um, it's a, it's an extreme long shot and he's shooting it through from outside through a window inside. So it's Michael. We know that, but we can't really see it. And, and he is as impassive there as he is at the end of Godfather one, when one of his soldiers whispers in his ear that you've won, you've killed everyone. And Michael just is already thinking the next move. So here again, you know, I've killed my brother and he doesn't shed a tear. He doesn't even move. And I think, okay, that's the ending of the movie. Michael's alone and he's a monster. That's the point of the movie, right? Um, he wins, but at what cost? And um, and then to have that sort of nostalgic thing, it, 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 it takes us out of that sort of moment of moral relativism into a nostalgia for the first film. And I, I just, I don't know why. And it uh, and it, it doesn't work for me. And, and I wish it... I kind of wish it wasn't there. It'd be like turning. <laughs> I'd love to turn off the the, the DVD because
1: it's a shame. Because oh right
0: the movie day, wasn't in there, and and I'm yeah. sure he had his reasons. I and mean, yeah,
1: well, yeah. right after that yeah. scene, right after the nostalgic, the birthday party, that's when you do get him alone, and his hair is a little grayer, and he's on the bed, and that's of course that knocks the wind out of your sails because yeah. there he is all alone outside of the in the autumn leaves swirling around. So that's Yeah, unique. and you don't
0: know what to do to that, with that cuz then you have Godfather 3. Right. <laughs> and now you have the two endings of Godfather 3, the right. the 1990 mm-hmm. ending and the what is it 2020? The new one, yeah. Um, and and you know, talk of Godfather 4. So, um, I don't know. I I mean, don't there must be movies that you'd love, but this sure. is like one moment and you just yeah. say, wow, you know, I really wish that wasn't there. I actually teach some movies and I just say, I won't talk about that scene
1: because
0: <laughs> movie's great, except for that one scene. I just don't get what's going on and I don't get why it's there. And I'm sure even directors look back at stuff and say, you know, wow, you know, I, I've hosted some events with directors, you know, and they come in and they won't watch the movie, you know, they'll mm-hmm. almost to a, a person, they'll step outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when they hear the the music closing music they'll walk walk back in because they can't bear to look at it right because it's all mistakes yeah in their view I just
1: I just you know? read um Paul Schrader once said that somebody asked Paul Schrader do you watch your old movies and he said no there's two reasons one if it's really horrible then all I do is cringe at the mistakes and if it's really good I say where did all my talent go <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's hopeless isn't it um, I don't know what yeah you know, I've, I've I don't think I've ever read anything about what Coppola. I mean, he. I, I've read a lot about him having, you know, dealing with self doubt and stuff. Um, but I wonder if he's ever, what? you know, if he's one of these these directors who won't watch it. There's, it's a it's a weird analogy, I think, but uh, um, there's there's a Sam Shepard play. Is it called The Buried Child? Yeah, buried child.
1: Yeah, buried child. Barry child. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And and I, I saw a production of it um, fairly recently uh, with Ed Harris, in the lead it was so great. Uh, but but in the playbill, I was reading about the play, and apparently he won the Pulitzer for it, or or and and, and then changed the ending. <laughs> I
1: thought,
0: okay, that's really cool that, that he couldn't stop tinkering with this thing. Right. The, yeah. You know, the ending, he just kept saying, yeah, the ending's not right. He may still, you know, I guess he recently passed away, right? Um, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, but but he he probably went <laughs> all the way to the end saying, well, I could have written a better ending to, to this play that's, you know, sort of one of the major works of uh, American theater. Uh, so you wonder. Um, so maybe, maybe, but to me, yeah, that was a yeah. long way that's- around saying, I, I, I wish the film ended with that cold, moment in the in, yeah. in, in the living room in the den whatever
1: because every time you get to that moment where he's at the end right before the credits come on you, you know it's i i love to imagine i don't know if you ever came across this in your research but i love to imagine what the original audience because i was too young to see it in the movies when it came out like what did people do at the end what it like did they did they applaud did they because it, it it makes me real quiet when i get to the end because you're just like Oh man! Like he's all alone, and just like you watch this this horror show, it, you don't like. Yay! Like it's not that kind of ending.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. There was a really good essay written fairly soon after the film came out in Jump Cut, which was this one of the first grade uh, film journals. You know, serious film journals uh-huh. in the U.S. Um, and it had film reviews, um, so it wasn't just you know sort of big research articles. There was. It was pretty timely, you know. And uh, one of the editors, John Hess, wrote wrote a uh, a review of Godfather Two, and um, he he talks about the ending where Michael is at once the most powerful and the lonely loneliest yeah. man in America. Right. And right. and I wonder if now we watch the film and only get the second part.
1: Yeah. 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 That's the lonely part
0: doesn't seem to matter much to people, uh, but powerful, he sure is, you know, he's yeah. the most powerful, but the lonely, and, and I do wonder, cause I, uh, it hit me like, you know, killing your brother is kind of, you know, it's, yeah. it's up there, right? You know, it's yeah. it's not nice. as bad, you know, kills his brother-in-law, but his brother-in-law is the kind of sniveling character. Yeah, he's a, he's a jerk. Sister, so. Okay. And he's avenging, you know, the setup, you know, his right. brother was murdered because of this guy. Right. So, okay. All of that, I can deal with that. Um. Yeah, Fredo betrayed him, but right. he's your brother, right? And he's no threat. I mean, that's what Connie no. says.
1: Right. You know,
0: he's no threat to you anymore. But right. but Tom says the same thing in the film. He says that about Roth. He says Roth's no threat to you anymore. Do you have to kill uh, all your enemies? And Michael kind of says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: you I kind of do." Yeah, you do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. Uh. And, and, you know, you know, it's one thing to neutralize people, but no, it's another thing to kill. Yeah. Them.
1: You have to kill him and, and you have Michael, to watch it Michael happen. Michael likes
0: the clarity of murder. Right. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. No, Michael doesn't want loose ends. Michael doesn't, you know, Michael doesn't want to, you know. No,
0: no. And there's something beautiful because, you know, you know, when both of us finish this conversation. There's lots of loose ends out there, aren't there, for yeah. us to deal with about just stuff.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, Michael doesn't yeah, seem no. to have many of those. No, he simplified he his
1: own life. That's for sure. Yes, um, he, sure he did. Yeah. So we, so you, you obviously love Godfather. You obviously love the Godfather too. But you, all, you also love many other things about films. And I know that you have another new book out. So can you talk about some of your other interests and what, what else is going on in the John Lewis um, pantheon?
0: Well. Thank you very much for for allowing me to sure. to to uh, talk about my other book. Yeah, I, uh, the the BFI books, the like the Godfather one and two book that I did for the BFI series. I love that series, and and uh, the film classic series is you know wonderful compact monographs. So written sort of at the same time, and the books have come out at exactly the same time. Um, is a book I wrote about Hollywood and the counterculture. So it's called uh, a "Road to Nowhere: uh, Hollywood Encounters the Counterculture," and it's 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 a look at 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 um, mostly movie stars, but in a couple of cases filmmakers who have um, who were celebrities at one moment or another, uh, but were also sort of caught up in the American counterculture, who walked away from celebrity or just simply fell out of celebrity and just sort of sort of um, weren't able to reconcile, you know, the, the counterculture, um, the, their embrace of the counterculture and their embrace of something as crass and commercial as Hollywood celebrity. And um, it's part of an effort. I've, I've done this in other books where I'm, rather than look at the sort of best and brightest of Hollywood, you know, those who succeed in, in, in some sort of wonderful and dramatic and celebrated way, it's a look at the people who almost get there, and then something something goes wrong.
1: Are there any um, names in there that we would recognize? That yeah, studied?
0: so I mean, the obvious one is Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper, yeah, <laughs> um, who gets a third act. You know, he gets he gets sure. he gets to be Dennis Hopper again at the end, but there's a big period of time after after Easy Rider where he doesn't. Um, I write about a uh, Mark Frechette who was in um, Zabriskie Point. And and his co-star Dana Halpern, Daria Halpern, sorry, and and um, ha- uh, um, Freshad ends up in in jail after a failed bank robbery and then murdered in jail. Um, wow! This after being the great discovery for Antonioni's film. Uh, I write about um, Barbara Loden, who was an actress and filmmaker who made this one great film called Wanda. Um, and then just things never caught on for her. And it's a complicated story. Uh, I write about Gene Seberg, a different complicated story where the FBI targeted her, basically destroyed her. Um, write a bit about Manson because, of course, sure. it's impossible to avoid him. And then, for me, the centerpiece of the book is the story about one actor, uh, Christopher Jones. And it's a—it's just such a... It, I I actually wrote the book because I had him in mind. And I had in mind a version of the story, the Christopher Jones story. And then I did research and that wasn't the story at all. It was much sadder than I
1: thought.
0: It it became a really difficult... I I think it's the centerpiece of the book because it's, you know... If you want a version of devouring stardom, I mean, this is is a, a very... Um, it's not a sensational, but it's a it's a terrible story. Um, wow. and it's the sort of centerpiece of the book. The, the larger vision of this is, I as a historian, I think, and I, I I feel this very strongly that 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 these are the stories that are history, not not you know most people would talk about the counterculture and you know they, they talk about all the successes and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's but interesting. They are more yeah.
0: interested in the people who don't make it. Um, yeah. whose stories are really interesting and tell us a lot about Hollywood and a lot about America at the time
1: yeah that's great so we'll have to look for that that's Road to nowhere and also our listeners yep. can can pick up the BFI film classics of Godfather 2 and Godfather and uh, maybe BFI will get you to do the one for Godfather three and then you'll have the, the whole Godfather trifecta
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um they have a list that they keep yeah. close to their vest uh, so I don't know if Godfather three's on it I, I mm-hmm. may be doubt OK, <laughs> well, if anyone Which could just tell I, I like Godfather 3 more yeah. than most people.
1: But... You're the man to do it. You're the man to do the Godfather 3 DFI. That it
0: might not be on the
1: list, so it's not, <laughs> not going to get that. Well, it was great talking today, John. John Lewis, author, film historian. Pick up his book about Godfather Part 2. John, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure.